Remember those who um, have lost loved ones this week, we, uh, the Williams family, as well as the Pointer family and others that need to be prayed for. We've got, uh, I've got friends um, in the hospice house that we need to remember their family this week. Um, hospital, and it, the list goes on and on. Lots of different needs, lots of different things going on. But um, a Thanksgiving praise, this, this thing that got louder when I started talking, uh, praise for the good sound this morning. Did y'all hear all that good good volume and stuff? And, and you could understand the words even in the back. So uh, good job committee who got that together we appreciate that and and that's a praise report good praise but let's pray tonight as we continue in our worship heavenly father we thank you we thank you for just the opportunity god to bow our heads and and bow before your throne tonight we we don't take this uh for granted we know that um, you died so that we might have this great opportunity lord for you our great intercessor to hear our prayers, to bend down and hear us and listen to us. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, you've heard our list. You've, you've heard our hearts. You, you know the things that are spoken and unspoken in our, our church family tonight. We pray for them tonight. We pray for those who are undergoing times of bereavement. Lord, we've got some in decline at the hospice house. We've got uh, some at the mortuary tonight. Lord, we've got... Um, People in the hospital, people coming home, people undergoing treatments for cancer, uh, s- surgeries are scheduled. The list goes on and on and on. But, Lord, we know tonight that you're the great physician, you're the great healer, and, Lord, not only that, but you've got the whole world in your hands. And, Lord, we trust you tonight. We trust you that you have a plan in each of these situations, Lord, and that, if nothing else, that plan is to bring us closer to you. And I'm thankful for that. Lord, we pray for Ken and Kenny and Lynn tonight that you would just touch them in a special way. We know they're probably in the bed right now, Lord. But, Father, as we, uh, we think about them today and, and, and daily, Lord, in our daily prayers and our daily uh, quiet times, Lord, we, we just ask your blessings on them. We pray for a great harvest of, of souls, Lord. We pray for uh, much learning to go on, Lord, not just in in their lives, Lord, but um, the children as well. We're so thankful to see your hand in every step of this journey with them, and we just pray, God, you would use it, Lord, not only to build your kingdom there, but, Lord, to build your kingdom here. Help us as we get through this tonight, Lord. We pray your will would be done and and that your word would be proclaimed, and we're just so thankful for this opportunity. In thy name we pray. Amen. All right. Um... The book of Jeremiah, it's, um, it spans about 40 years. So we're going to get into that, but tonight we're going to do an introduction, kind of an introduction, because I don't think, I think you've got to understand the, what's going on around before you can get into the man of Jeremiah and understand exactly what goes on. So we're going to talk about that tonight, and we're going to get into it a little bit deeper, and we'll go over the handout in just a few minutes. But if you would stand, and we're going to read Jeremiah chapter 1, and we're going to read 1 through 5. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anath in the land of Benjamin, 
to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. Verse 3. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, until the exile of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. You may be seated. and May God bless the reading of his word. You should have gotten a handout from my friend Chloe. And our, um, if you didn't, come raise your hand. We'll get you one. It is two-sided. Two-sided. And we want to sh- kind of show you where we're, we're talking about. Um, if you look on the map side, it's pretty blurry. Um, the copy that I sent wasn't the, the easiest to get through, but um, the important parts are there. You see Israel and you see Judah. All right? Now, we're talking about the land of Judah, and you see the boundaries there. We're going to talk about that, and that's what whole Jeremiah is dealing with. And the important part about Jer- Judah is up there at the top. It, you can't read it, but it's blurry, but that's where Jerusalem is. So Jerusalem and Judah, it's all right there in that same little area. Israel used to be one big country. And if you flip over to the other side, the list of kings, you'll see uh, King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. That was true. But then um, after King Solomon, um, the wisest man on earth chose unwise decisions And that affected this whole group of people and this whole precious people that that the Lord calls his chosen. Um, And you'll see there they divided into two. On the left, you see the kingdom of Judah. And on the right, you see the kingdom of Israel. And if you'll follow the kingdom of Israel down to 740 in the middle with the date, 740 B.C., you'll see Samaria captures Israel and it's, it's over. Israel as a nation is no more. But you look over to the left, you still got Judah. Do you see what that kind of that what they're trying to tell you there? The important part for us is Josiah. And you see over there on the left, you'll see Manasseh, Ammon, and Josiah. And that's where we're going to be tonight. And the rest of our time. We're going to spend time in Jeremiah. And if you notice, we're getting toward the bottom. We're getting toward the bottom. You see King Josiah. His rule started in 659 B.C. 659. You see the three numbers there and the one on the right. That starts Josiah's reign. What's so important about 659 B.C. is remember between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's approximately 400 years of silence. God is quiet. Nothing. There's no written record of, of anything in our scripture. And it all starts back over in Matthew and Mark, Luke, and John with um, John the Baptist and Jesus is coming. So, 400 years. So when you're at 659 and you know 400, it's over. They're, they're, they're taken into captive and, and by the time Jesus is born, they're in, under Roman rule. Um, you see 659, to, we're almost at the end. We're almost at the end of the Old Testament. We're almost at the end of this nation, this these chosen people, and they don't get back together until 1948. All right? So we kind of got a, a little bit of what's going on here politically. Um, of course, Josiah didn't know that they were almost over 
you know, that. But when we're talking about Jeremiah and Josiah and, and all that, just wanted to get you kind of up to speed on where we are because it makes all the difference as we go through these and talk about what God's trying to tell us in the book of Jeremiah. If you'll flip back over in your Bible to the book of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 34. Second Chronicles chapter 34. Second Chronicles chapter 34. Second Chronicles chapter 34. Everyone there? Right before Ezra and Nehemiah, just over there. Um, chapter 34 of Second Chronicles. Josiah, all right? Chapter 1, I mean chapter 34, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he ruled 31 years in Jerusalem. Verse 2, he did ride in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Verse 3, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek God, seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the asherim, the carved images, and the molten images. They tore down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and the incense altars that were high above, he chopped them down. Also the ashram and the carved images and the molten images he broke in pieces and ground to powder and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Then he burned the bones of the priests on their altars and purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, and even as far as Naphtali, in their surrounding ruins. Um, he also tore down the altars and beat the ashram and carved images into powder and chopped down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Josiah. He started, he was only eight years old, and the reason he um, ascended the throne at age eight is because his father was assassinated. His father was on the bad king list. If you've ever seen a list of kings of Jerusalem or Judah, you'll see good king, bad king, good king, bad king, bad, 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 good. You know, kind of the way it works. And Amon was probably really, really, really bad. He was so bad that he was assassinated by his house staff. It wasn't like um, the neighboring enemy country came over and, and attacked him. It was like his own people, the people that worked for him, his butlers, maids, that kind of thing. They killed him. So he was a bad, bad king. Um, but he only reigned about two years. He only had about two years to really be bad. But his father, Manasseh, 55 years of bad. Okay, so you got 55 years of bad. Manasseh's father was King Hezekiah, who was godly king. Okay, so we've got godly king into the bad kings. Then we've got Josiah, eight years old. Comes in on the tail end of, of 57 years of bad leadership. Um, 
all the good that Hezekiah did had been forgotten. You see just how bad they had gotten. Um, just how bad they had gotten. All of the, not only was it, he tore down altars of Baal. He tore down Asherim. He tore down um, these incense altars. I mean, these are all different religions. And not only did they worship all these different religions, they took place inside the precious temple of God that King David um, or King Solomon actually built. So you can see just how far they had come into their idolatry and spiritual darkness. This was a dark, dark time and a dark, dark place when King Josiah comes to the throne at age eight. You say, well, what kind of power does an eight-year-old have? Well, not much, I'm sure. He was a puppet king. But then if you look on down, if you look on down in verse 3, in the eighth year of his reign, he would have been 16 years old. And remember, 16-year-olds at this time was a grown man. You know, he was a grown man and making his own decisions at this time. And it, when he was 16, in the eighth year of his reign, he began to clean house. He began to clean house. He cut down all of this stuff. And these, we're not talking just golden calves here. It, it, we're talking um, the most vile things you could think of. I mean, sexual, orgy, prostitution, all of that going on in the temple of God. It, it, was, it was bad. All right, just think how bad that was. And he comes into power, and he says, God starts working in his life. And I'm not sure why. It doesn't give example. Uh, there was no big defining moment here from the time he was 8 to 16. I just think God was using him. And, and, and he had started working even then in his heart and in his life. So you see here, and look what he, it said. Um, they tore down the altars of Baal in his presence. He oversaw this. He was right there on the front line. It wasn't like he was sitting on his throne giving orders for you to go do this and you go do this. He was sitting right there watching all of this happen. He was very hands-on. He was very much a leader who believed, if I'm going to tell you to do it, I should be able to do it myself. That's, that's the kind of leader that everybody wants. You know, I'm going to get my hands dirty right there with you, and we're going to get this place cleaned up. And that's what he did. That's what he did. And notice they, they burned the bones of the priests, those priests who were over all of these Baal worship and things, they killed them. Not just, it wasn't enough to clean up the house, it was the people who were in charge of the house. He got rid of all of that. So you see here just exactly um, where, he, where he began to clean up. And notice that this is the twelfth year of his reign. Um, let's see, yeah, the twelfth year of his reign. Let's go down to verse 8. Um, uh, one more thing. The twelfth year of his reign, remember back in when we was reading Jeremiah 1, Jeremiah came on the scene. He was called by God in the thirteenth year of Josiah's reign. So you see, this is where we're, we're hooking up with Jeremiah. He, right here in the thirteenth year, all of this had just taken place. All of this had just taken place. The spiritual cleaning and getting back to the things of God, that had just happened when Jeremiah came on the scene. All right. Um, if I were a, a prophet, that's probably a good time, don't you think? Wouldn't you rather do that than be um, the Jonah 
who says, you go into that evil city and you tell them, um, I'm going to kill them in three days if they don't straighten up or whatever. And, you know, go in there alone knowing there's no spiritual reformation going on whatsoever and how evil that was. You know, Jeremiah's coming in on a good time. He's coming, starting out his ministry at a good time. Look at verse 8. Verse 8. Now, in the 18th year of his reign, now we had just, we tore down all this stuff in the 12 years. It's been about five years. The 18th year of his reign, he had purged the land and the house and sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Manasseh, the official of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. Now, during all of this time, remember, 55 years have passed since a godly king, so there's been no um, upkeep on, on the house of God. So it was in pretty bad disrepair, and they were using it for who knows what kind of filth and religion in the name of religion. So it was time that so um, he felt the need to restore the house of God. That's what they're, they're talking about. So verse 9, they came to Hilkiah, the high priest. And remember Hilkiah, we just read about him because he's the father of Jeremiah. Okay? The Paul Harvey rest of the story right there. He's the father. So um, remember that part. But they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, and delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the doorkeepers, had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim and from the remnant of Israel and from all of Judah and Benjamin, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So they went out to all of these different people groups, the tribe of Manasseh, the tribe of Dan, the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Naphtali, all of these different tribes of of the Israel and took up money. And they brought all this money back for the sole purpose of restoring this temple. So they took kind of like a building fund. And we know what that's like, don't we? So kind of the same, same thought here. Um, verse 10, they gave it to the hands of the workmen who had oversight of the house of the Lord. And the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord used it to restore and repair the house. And they, in turn, gave it to the carpenters and to the builders to buy quarried stones and timber for couplings and to make beams for the housing Houses which the kings of Judah had let go to ruin. And we just talked about that. So the men did work faithfully, and the foremen over them to supervise Jahath and Obadiah, and the Levites of the sons of Merari, Zechariah, and Meshullam, of the sons of the Kohathites, and all the Levites who were skillful with their musical instruments. And they were over the burden bearers and supervised all of the workmen. From job to job, and some of the Levites were scribes and official gatekeepers. So it went through this whole list of those who were actually working on the uh, temple, trying to get it restored and back into power. So it went through this whole list of people. And the funny thing is they, they did a good job. There was no, nobody stole the money, nobody did it. I mean, they took the money, they did it, and they did exactly what they were called to do. And as a reward, they get their name mentioned in the, in the word of God which is a pretty big deal. So God uh, honored them that way. But verse 14, we have a change. Verse 14, um, things start happening. Things start happening. When they were bringing bringing out the money which had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law the Lord had given by Moses. And Hilkiah responded and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave it to Shaphan. And Shaphan brought the book to the king 
and reported further word to the king, saying, Everything that was entrusted to your servants they are doing. They have emptied out the money which was found in the house of the Lord, and they've delivered it in the hands of the supervisors and the workmen. Moreover, Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest gave me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king, and when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. This book, while they were cleaning up and throwing away and, and, and whatever you do when you renovate a, a, a building, they found the book of the law. Um, this book of the law is thought to be the uh, chapters 28, 29, 30, and 31 of the book of Deuteronomy. And it was, um, it was ordained by God that you're supposed to read this book of the law at least once a year to remind the people of where they come from and what God's expectations of them are. And it had been so long that it was brand new to them. It was brand new. They had been so far in, out there. They had no scriptural foundation. It, it, was, it was sad. It was sad. So you had at least... Um, and I did a little math here. You had 57 years for Manasseh and Ammon, the father and the grandfather. And then this is the 18th year of his reign. So 18 plus 57, that's 75 years at least since this precious book had been opened and read in the presence of the people. Um, and you see what an impact it had. When the king heard the words of the law, verse 19, he tore his clothes. Um, when he heard the word, when Josiah heard the word, even though God had been working in his heart, working in his life, you know, getting him ready to be a, um, the godly king he was, um, and we talked about that. But when he heard the word, his life was changed from this point. He was a different person. He was a different person. The king commanded, verse 20, king commanded Hilkiah, a king... Ahakam the son of Shaphan, Abdon the son of Micah, Stephon the scribe, and Asia the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the, the book which have been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord which is poured out on us because our fathers have not observed the word of the Lord to do all according to that which is written in the book. So here we have, he was so convicted he was so convicted and he heard such power in these words because remember the word of god is sharper than any two-edged sword so powerful that it scared him he he was scared he's like god is going to judge us and he surely was and he did but he even through all of his goodness that he did tearing down all of these um religious symbols and things that, that were against God. Um, he didn't come face to face with God until right here. He heard that powerful word and it made all the difference. And he not only tore his clothes for himself but repentance and of nature. And remember these people had a lot of religion. We have a lot of religion here in the United States but very little God, you know? We have lots of religion, and they had lots of religion. They, could, they had more than you could ever imagine. 
Remember when Paul went to Corinth and he walked into the city and there were gods lined up across the thing and there was one that didn't have a name. They said, in case we forgot one, that's him. Remember that? He had such a long, there was just a row and they had all kinds named and there was one without a name. And and Paul said, I know that one. That's the unknown God. That's Jehovah that I'm telling you about. These people the same way. They had so many. They had lots of religion. Very little God. Um, This is funny. I never thought in my life that uh, Daisy Dean Cleveland would be mentioned twice in South Carolina. Any place. Mac mentioned her this morning, and I said, I'm going to talk about her tonight. Uh, God thing. God thing. But um, Daisy Dean Cleveland, when I was in first grade... When I was in first grade, that's been 38 years ago, 1976, 1977 school year. Um, she taught me, we walked into her class, and, and not only to read and write, she managed to do that too, but um, she said, all right, here's what I want you to learn. And she said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table in the presence of mine enemies, thou anointest my head. We did it. I learned that when I was six years old in Daisy Dean Cleveland's public school class at Ravenel Elementary School. She also taught me to make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you land, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. Know you the Lord. I could memorize a lot more at age six than I can at 44. <laughs> There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were sore afraid. The angel said, Fear not. Luke 2, 8 through 16. We learned it. I knew it in a public school class at Ravenel Elementary School 38 years ago. We prayed. We sang. We did Sunday school songs. Um, I look back, and I was a church child, and, and... you know, this was just like an extension of Sunday school to me. Um, you know, like I said, she taught me to learn to read and write too and do subtraction, which I still can't do well. But um, we learned how to do all that. But I was sitting here thinking, what if here we are 75 years after the reading of the Word of God in this Judah, and, and, and it was so new that it was so old that it was new. What if what's going to happen to us um, when people stop talking about this, when, when children stop learning the 23rd Psalm, what's going to happen in 75 years after that? that what, what's going to happen? You know, we can look back at 38 years, and I can see a change. I can see a big change in 38 years from when I was in first grade to now. Um, what's going to happen... Um, in 38 more years, what's, what's the world going to be like for our children, especially with the Word of God? Like I said, we've got lots of religion, lots of religion, but how much God do we have? Um, I, uh, I think about the changes in my lifetime, and, and this is, and you probably remember this, some are a little older than I am, but... Uh, uh, we're from. I'm from Neary, and and Neary had the Abney Mills, and 
the way they shipped the way they shipped their products out, they had some trucks, I guess, but most of it was by train. And there's railroad track that ran all the way from Neary all the way up the road and, and meet up in Seneca, I guess. I'm not sure where they ended up, but I knew if you put quarters on the railroad track, it would uh, make an imprint as the train went by. You know, I learned that much. But one day during, um, one day during the, uh, this was in the late 50s or early 60s, I've, what I've heard. During a church service, a train went by from Abney Mills. It went up the track. And the next day, the pastor of Lydia Baptist Church, Ralph Sassard, called the boss of Abney Mills. And you know a train never passed by on church day again. Can you imagine? Can you imagine today you calling up anybody and saying, you know, what? that never happened again. It never, that just amazes me. It never happened again. And that was just 50 years ago. Here we are today. What would have happened 50 years ago if they had done a ball tournament on Sunday? What would have happened? Nobody would have won. <laughs> you know, it, would, it was just such a, a foreign concept. And, and they would have lost money because there wouldn't have been a soul there. Even if you didn't go to church, you just knew you weren't supposed to do it, so you didn't do it. My grandma, to the day she died, you weren't supposed to go fishing on Sunday. I said, Grandma, that's not work. That's just fun. No, you can't do it. Uh, so you just can't. So what, um, what tonight's sermon is about in, in, in this lesson, but we're, we're talking about Jeremiah and where he, where he comes into this picture. And Jeremiah, we're going to get into a little bit more of that in the future, but I just wanted to stop and think, what, what if we forget? What if we forget? What if, how far away are we from them? How far away are we from them? We have electricity, we have computers, we have phones, and, and you know, Facebook, and everybody posts their favorite Bible verse, whatever. You know, I get all that. But, you know, how, how deep is that? How deep is that? Is it... Um, just a superficial, you know, I'll be praying for you kind of thing. I, is that superficial? Is that just a surface, just a surface depth that um, when the rubber meets the road, when, it, when things get really bad or when things get really good, you have a, a deep well to draw from of spirituality. And that's what, that's what Josiah finally got. Josiah had that. The king got that. And in turn, and then the turn, um, he turns around, and the king turns around, and I'm trying to find the verse. The king turns around, King Josiah, he pulls out the scroll, and he reads it to the people. He read it to them. It wasn't just enough that it changed his life. He was telling them, and he was leading by example. What if one of our leaders opened up the Bible and read it to us? Would that have influence? Would that change anything? Oh, yes. 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 What a difference it would make. What a difference it would make in not just um, their lives, but the lives of whatever people they're governing. What a powerful, powerful testimony of this king. And as, I, as we leave this place, and this I'm winding up, but what I want you to take out of this from this and what I want you to take with you 
what can you do in your world? Because your world's different than my world. What, what can you do in your circle of influence to keep people from forgetting? What can you do? Who do you know? Who? We all have different circles. We all work in different places. We have different family members. We have different sporting events, Walmart, whatever. Wherever you go, wherever they know you, what can you do to make a difference, to make sure that people don't forget? Um, and that's a hard question. What can we do? Um, you know, is it talk about more? Is it to pray more? Is it to read more? Is it to serve more? I think, yeah, all of that. And whatever else God tells you to do. But what we've got to do is make sure, make sure, because if 38 more years, 38 more years past, like the past 38 have been, where are we going to be? Where are we going to be? And, you know, I probably won't be here in 38 more years, but my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren, you know, if, if the Lord tarries, what kind of world is this going to be? Are they going to be able to stand on the Word of God with firm foundation? That's my hope and that's my joy, but that's what I hope that, um, that's my hope for them. That's my hope for them. Let's pray. And Dean, if you'll come and do our invitation, I got a song picked out. But, um, if you need to come pray, whatever, but feel free. But let's pray. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for King Josiah and his godly example. Lord, we thank you for little ladies like Daisy Dean Cleveland who, who didn't matter what the Supreme Court told her. She gave us a Bible. She prayed with us. We learned scripture. And you, Lord, I, you know, Lord, I'm better for it. And I think of all those children God in that class who didn't go to church, who didn't have that godly example that I had. Lord, what's in it for them? Yet they heard for 180 days in 1976 and 77, they heard the word of God. And I'm thankful for that, Lord. I pray, Father, you'd use us in whatever our circle of influence. Lord, I don't want to forget. Lord, I don't want to be like King Josiah and just hearing this all for the first time. It's wonderful, Lord, that he got it. But God, what happened to his father? What happened to his grandfather? What kind of legacy did they leave, Lord, other than just being on the bad list of kings? Lord, we want to leave good legacies. We want to leave a legacy of service, of power, not because we're strong, Lord, but because you are. Lord, I pray as you use this time, speak to our hearts, Lord. Whatever you have us to do, I pray you do it. We love you and we praise you. In thy name we pray.